Well, morning, everybody. Oh, hey. Clap right back at you. I was reading through these Lent devotionals this week, and I thought about us. By the way, if you haven't signed up for the Lent devotionals, I think you should. You know, Lent is basically a 40-day preparation time for Easter, and it's all predicated on this. That some people would look at Easter as an isolated historical event that we study with interest. At Southside, we see Easter as the central event of human history that we look to for hope. And so we want to feed our souls in preparation for Easter. It's about a five-minute reading every morning, and literally, we have people all over the world who have signed up for it. So I was thinking, since it's kind of Southside written, that everyone at Southside should be doing it. So again, 604-670-3040. You can text the keyword Lent into that. You can start at the beginning. You can start uh, Monday morning, tomorrow morning if you want, whatever you want to do. But I would love it if you could jump in on that. So I'm reading through it, and I'm thinking about how you and me and everyone gathered here today, whether you're here for the first time, the 400th, whether you're watching online, we're kind of a collection of stories. And it's really interesting to me that through the plot twists and the plot turns of your story and my story, here we are today. And I think there's a reason for that. I think the reason is that we need to be reminded that that God is writing a story called redemption on the pages of history. And the way that he writes that redemption story is he writes redemption on our lives and he uses our lives to tell his story. So before we go any further today, I just want to take a second. I want to pray for your story and for mine. So dear God, I want to thank you for everybody here today, everybody watching online. God, you are the hope for our story. We pray today that you would write hope into our story. Love, joy, peace, strength, courage into every story. Thank you in your name. Amen. So it's the first day of grade 10, and I'm walking down the hallway of high school with an orange pop. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Now, some of you have heard it before, a bump in the person beside you going, consider yourself lucky. Sometimes he starts on the first day of grade one, okay? Uh, but, 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 the, but the reason is I really, really believe that sometimes if we want to move forward, we got to look back. I've said it this way before, that we, we learn from the past, we live in the present, and we shape the future. So I want to take a second, I want to, I want to look back so that we can move forward. So it's my first day at Camille J. LaRouge Collegiate in Red Deer, Alberta. Don't really know anyone at the school, so my mom decides on that day to pack me a special lunch. Instead of a drink box, I'll get a C-plus orange pop. Awesome. So I'm walking down the hallway living the C-plus life, and I come around the corner, and I just about run into Rick Larson. And I knew immediately it was Rick Larson because every kid in Red Deer knew Rick Larson. Rick Larson was kind of a legend. He was the grade 12 captain of the football team, and he was standing there on the first day of school with all the most popular kids in the school. And Rick Larson said to me as I came around the corner, he said, hey kid, give me your pop. And honestly, I thought for a second that Rick Larson and I were kind of having a moment. You know, like he said, he said to himself, I'm a really cool guy, and look at that new cool guy. We're just going to, you know, we're going to have a bonding moment. And so, in keeping with the moment that I thought we might be having, I kind of nodded and smiled at Rick Larson and kept walking, like kind of a cool guy nod. And then I realized we weren't having a moment because he yelled real loud, hey kid, give me your bleeping pop or I will bleeping kill you. So I knew that we weren't having a moment. 
I knew that I might have only moments to live. So, so it, it, was, it was so loud, by the way, that everything kind of stopped in the hallway. So I turned around, I handed in my pop, and I, I walked away, and what was a quiet hallway only seconds earlier erupted in laughter. Everyone pointing at me, and I remember walking away and feeling real embarrassed, you know. And You know, sometimes you realize you're blushing, but then that makes you embarrassed that you're blushing, so you blush even more. So I'm beat red, I'm walking down the hallway, and I, and I thought to myself in that moment, uh, I never want to feel like this again. See, back in the first day of grade 10, if you would have asked me, man, define your childhood for me, I probably would have said, I don't measure up. Kind of picked up these labels throughout my life, loser, failure, lost cause. Didn't measure up at home with my family. Didn't measure up in school. You know, back from the early days of primary school, uh, teachers labeled me an ADHD behavior problem. There was times that my class would go on a field trip and I wasn't allowed to go because I would have ruined it. And that's probably true, actually. But um, I didn't measure, up, didn't measure up on the school bus. I remember my, my first day riding the school bus, five years old, grade one. And for whatever reason, the older kids on that particular bus decided they did not like me and they were going to make my life miserable, and they sure did. Day after day after day for years. So I'm walking down the hallway. Everyone's laughing at me. Everyone's pointing at me. And I think to myself, oh, no, 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 no. I'm never going to feel this way again. And I made a decision, and the decision was pretty simple. I'm going to become Rick Larson. I'm going to become Rick Larson. Like people don't laugh at Rick Larson Rick Larson laughs at other people. People don't bully Rick Larson. Rick Larson bullies other people, you know? Rick Larson never feels like a loser, a failure, or a lost cause, so I'll become him. So instead of loser, failure, lost cause, my plan was I'm going to become popular, cool, and tough. It's actually really easy, to be honest. You just fit in at all costs. You look around, you think, man, who's the most popular kids in this school, I'm just going to hang with them. And how do you become cool? I don't know. I, I just decided that whatever parties everybody was going to, and whatever they were doing, whatever they were ingesting, whatever activities they were involved in, I would just double it. And, and when it came to being tough, it's just like the old adage says, practice makes perfect. So I just started getting in a lot of fights. And if you would have looked at me at that, in that time, you would have said, man, I, I think that guy's popular, cool, and tough. Or at the very least, he would have said this. That guy is completely convinced in his own mind that he is popular, cool, and tough. The, the problem was is I couldn't shake those voices, loser, failure, lost cause. So on the outside, I looked, looked real good. But the inside, I, I still felt helpless, lost, and alone. Afraid ashamed, insecure. So my strategy wasn't working. But, but, but rather than making a decision to change strategies, I decided to double down on it. So things got more and more out of control and started to get kind of weird. I remember one morning, I woke up uh, on, on, on the front lawn of someone's house in Red Deer, Alberta, with no idea how I got there. You say, well, that's not that big a deal. Yeah, but it, it just felt real weird. And I remember another time I was out with my friends partying in Red Deer on a Saturday night. 
And, and I woke up early Sunday morning in an RV at the back of an acreage, 45 minutes outside of Red Deer with no idea how I got there. And then I remember one morning waking up in jail with no idea how I got there. I still don't, by the way. I'm guessing disorderly or fighting in public. That would probably be a pretty safe bet, one of those two. What I do remember about waking up in jail is I remember a police officer uh, banging something metal real loud and saying, wakey, wakey, sleeping beauty, your mummy is here to get you. And I had thrown up all over myself so much overnight that there was this felt black blanket that I was clutching to my face, but like the, the, the vomit had glued it to my face. So I peeled it off and now I had a felt blanket beard. <laughs> and I'm walking up to, to see my mom and he says to me, man, it's so funny when we brought you in here last night, all you kept saying was, <clears throat> please, please don't call my mom. Please don't call my mom. Please don't call my mom. So if you would have seen me in that moment <laughs> with a felt blanket beard, you would have thought, man, that guy needs help. But most times, I looked popular, cool, and tough. Or at least I looked like I thought that I was popular, cool, and tough. But inside, I was growing more and more helpless, more and more lost, and more and more alone. And everything changed for me in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. That evening had a familiar pattern for that juncture of my life. Uh, I was out partying with all my friends, and eventually as the night got later and later and then into the early morning hours of the next day, my friends would eventually, I don't know, go home and sleep, and I never would. Because I, I was running from those voices, you know? Loser, failure, lost cause, helpless, lost, alone, helpless, lost, alone, and I, I didn't want the night to end ever. Man, as long as there was noise, as long as there was distraction, even fighting was better than dealing with that. So by the end of the night, I'm all by myself, as usual. And, 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 and the bar closes, and they say, you gotta leave. So it's about two o'clock in the morning, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, and I'm walking up the south hill in Red Deer, and I'm freezing cold because somewhere along the line that night, I had lost my jacket. And I remember walking up that hill feeling like, man, like, this is insane. It's not working. Like, I still feel helpless. I still feel lost. I still feel alone. You get it? Like, it's not like I said, I feel helpless again. No, no, I still feel helpless. I've always felt helpless. I can't remember a time in my life when I wasn't helpless. It's not like I, I, I feel lost again. It's like, I still feel lost. I've always felt lost. There wasn't a time in my life that I could remember not feeling lost. It's not like I was thinking, man, I feel alone again. Oh, no, no. I always felt alone. I couldn't remember a time even in the midst of a crowd when I didn't feel alone. Helpless. Lost. Alone. <laughs> felt like the biggest loser on the planet. So I'm walking up the hill, freezing cold. And I look up the hill, and there, there, there's another guy walking on the same hill. Misery loves company, right? So I'm thinking, well, you know what? I'm, I'm tied for the biggest loser in the world, because there's someone else walking up the South Hill Red during the middle of January at 2 a.m. 
I'm walking quite a bit faster than this guy because he had a jacket. I did not. I was trucking. I don't even know what my destination was that night, to be truthful. Someplace warm, I'm guessing. But I ended up catching up to the guy, and I passed him. And I looked over, and you know who it was? It was Rick Larson. And God spoke to my heart, said, you've been chasing him for five and a half years. You did it. You caught him. Is it everything that you hoped it would be? So you got to be kidding me. I remember thinking, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. <laughs> Helpless, lost, and alone. I don't, I don't want to. I, don't, I do not want to live this way anymore. And God spoke to me right there in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. He said, you don't have to. Stop running. Stop running. And I did. And he saved me. And he changed me. He's still changing me. And he led me, and he's still leading me. And, and I think it is absolutely true to say that if not for that moment in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, I would not be here today. You say, what do you mean you wouldn't be here today, Mike? You mean alive? I don't know, maybe. I know that my life at that time wasn't becoming increasingly safety conscious. Okay? So, so, so maybe alive, but that's not really what I'm referring to. Well, what do you mean, Mike? Do you mean you wouldn't be a pastor today? Well, I'm quite sure that I wouldn't be a pastor today. That would be a fair assessment also. Um, but, but I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is I wouldn't be here, 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 in this moment, March 1st, 2020. R right here in the middle of this expanded vision that we call more. To be real simple about it, let me explain it this way. The more expanded vision is a commitment that we made, a two-year commitment, exactly one year ago we made it, a two-year commitment to, to give $6.5 million to bring more help and more hope and more home to this city. It's amazing to me because I remember 14 years ago when I started working here as a youth pastor, our annual budget for everything that we did at Southside Church was $400,000 a year. And now here we are at this juncture where we've given $3.5 million, that we pledged $3.5 million to bring more help and more hope, and another $3 million to bring more home. And the question, and it's really obvious, and it's actually incredibly profound, it really is this, why? Why? See, be, because I, I know that the answer to that question defines us. It defines our purpose. It defines our passion. It defines our heart. <laughs> it defines our mission. It defines our existence. So I want to talk about that. Specifically today, I want to talk about why more help. Why more help? See, I think for me it comes down to this. It comes down to this stark realization that in this city, right now, in this moment, there are thousands of people, thousands of people, who feel exactly like I felt in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer. And some of them, you can see it, man. It's like a, it's like a, a felt 
blanket beard. It's obvious. You take one look at that person, you're like, that guy needs help. But others, hmm. they look a little bit more like I looked on a good day. Popular, <laughs> cool and tough, successful. But deep down inside, emotionally, financially, relationally, man, they need help. Because they're helpless, lost, and alone. You, you want to see some art? Okay, I'm going to do some art for you. You're so lucky. So good at this. Here's the equation. Have you thought of that word? That's a tough word, man. Devoid of help. Absent of help. See, I think to get there, you need two things. To get to a place of helplessness, you need to be lost and you need to be alone. You, you need to perceive that you are lost, you need to perceive that you are alone. The whole, the whole concept of loss is this moment where you come to, where you think, uh, I can't get there from here. What's there? I know we could call it salvation, or, or, or how about we call it this? We call it li- li- uh, life worth living. At some point, to be helpless, you've come to this conclusion. Maybe it's a self-perpetuating conclusion. You're lost, man. And, 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 and there, there, there might have been a time in your life when you could get there from here, but you, not anymore. And, and the second thing, obviously, that you need is you need to feel alone. In other words, not, not only am I lost, but there is no one. There is no one. There is no one that can or will help me get there. And I think what, what, what it's sometimes tempting to do as a church is to do this. Southside Church. Southside Church, here we are. And we help those who help themselves. Let me finish my own fill in the blank for you. Okay, so we help, hey, 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 just, just, just pick it up. Pick it up, step up. Step up. Let's go. We're, we're with you. Just raise up your game. You understand? Like, just, just come on. We help those who help themselves. It doesn't work, right? So for example, a poll a little while ago, uh, a majority of Americans said uh, their favorite Bible verse was God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. Because this is an issue. And there are those who believe, have come to the conclusion that <laughs> that's the point, they, I, I can't help myself. So we decided, what if we did this? What, 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 if, what if we came alongside people? 
and said, you know what? Uh, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And what we really wanted you to know, <clears throat> we, we, just, we just wanted you to know that you're not alone. See, I think, I think, I think what that could do, I think that could alter this equation. See, I'm walking up the South Hill of Red Deer in the middle of the night in the middle of January, and I called out to Jesus, and I went from lost to found. But one of the things that maybe I've never told you before is, I, I, think, I think there's a few people in my life who had stood by me and, and tried to help me through those five and a half years. If not for them, I don't know whether I would have called out. One was this friend of mine, Rich Stewart. I remember he sat me down one day, he said, Hey, Mike, you know I love you, right? And I love Jesus, too, you know? <laughs> I'm like, cool, you know? He says, but I can't hang around with you anymore. Because every time we hang out, we either get arrested or in a fight. We're not going to hang out anymore. He said, but I love you. And I want you to know, if you call me anytime, anytime, anytime you need me, day or night, I'm there. So I'm walking out, out of, the, out of the jail cell, up to see my mummy, and the policeman is laughing. He says, man, the one thing you kept saying is, please don't call my mom, please don't call my mom, please don't call my mom, and I got the felt blanket beard. It's not the greatest feeling, you know, walking out of jail to go see your mom. And I remember uh, she didn't say much. We got in the car, and she looked at me, <clears throat> and she said, uh, you know what you need? You need some new clothes. Let's take you home, get you showered, and then we're going to go shopping. You're like, Mike, are you telling me that's parenting 101? I don't know. All I know is this, is in a moment in my life when I felt like nobody in their right mind would want anything to do with me, she tried to let me know that I wasn't alone. See, somewhere along the line, I think we need to alter this equation. Like, I, need, I think we need to get to the point where we say, man, to, 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 to people, to families struggling with critical illness, to give them a sunshine box and say, hey, we know this is just a drop in the bucket, but there's just something we wanted to say, you're not alone. To a single mom or a single dad, wash their car, do a couple little tiny repairs. We know that's not everything, but we just want to do something to maybe let you know that you're not alone. To young moms in crisis pregnancy situations, coming alongside them saying, you know what, we can't do everything, but we thought we would do something, just to let you know that you're not alone. And see, I think what happens is when we alter this equation, the next thing you know, where there seemed to be no way, they find a way, and that way has a name, and his name is Jesus. That's why more help. Jesus said it this way, he said, let people know that you're a Christian by your love. And I, and, and I think it's real easy to maybe do a superficial reading of that passage and think, yeah, yeah, see, you need to be loving. When you're a Christian, be loving. Because if you love people and you're really kind and nice, you give Jesus a good name, okay? But when you're not, when you're mean 
and angry, you give Jesus a bad name. So don't give Jesus a bad name. And I think that's a superficial reading of the passage. I would suggest to you today that it is true that love is an evidence of God's power playing out in your life. That is true. I would also suggest to you that it is the key by which God's power is unlocked to love the helpless people in your world. It is not just the evidence, it is the very key to God's power playing out to help those who are helpless. So I think that there's three things that we need to do if we want to unlock God's power to love. Number one, we need to receive his love ourselves. This is pivotal. In other words, we need to reject performance-based acceptance and take hold of God's amazing grace. Performance-based acceptance says you get what you earned. Amazing grace says you get what Jesus earned through his death and resurrection. God's love cannot be achieved. It can only be received. I don't know, there's a, there's a temptation, I think, inside of all of us to move towards performance-based acceptance because we want to think that we earned it. We want to think that we're, you know, God loves everyone, but I'm just a little bit more lovable than other people, so that's why he loves me. His love cannot be achieved. It must be received. Um, and I, I, I think when we move towards performance-based acceptance, we're always going to end up in one of two places. The first place is just arrogance where we sit inside of four walls like this and we think, you know, we're a little bit more lovable and those people out there are unlovable and we've earned it and that makes us feel good. But that always leads, it goes from arrogance to despair very quickly. Because performance-based acceptance says, I gotta earn God's love and if the standard is perfection, I can't get there from here. Well, now I'm lost. So the first thing we need to do, and I think we gotta keep coming back to it, each one of us. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, I think you need to come back to that today. You see, is that step one, Mike? Yeah, it is, but I think it's also step seven, nine, 11, 47, 293. Continually rejecting performance-based acceptance. Actively rejecting performance-based acceptance and just receiving, just receiving his love. Not, not because I earned it, but because Jesus earned it through his death and resurrection. And the second thing that we need to do if we wanna unlock God's power to help the helpless, we gotta return his love. Here's what I mean. We need to actively reject self-pity. We need to actively reject self-pity and embrace Wide-eyed wonder. Man, if I get that first step down, you know what I mean? When I receive God's love, and I know that because of Jesus, because he died, because he rose again, I'm forgiven. I'm free. I look forward to a future, a hope, and eternity beyond my imagination. Then all of a sudden, I can't help but live in wide-eyed wonder. I wake up in the morning and I go, I can breathe. I can breathe. There's air in my lungs. There's blood in my veins. There's people in my life. Woo! Wide-eyed wonder. All of a sudden, my life becomes a song, and I sing it with gratitude and enthusiasm. What's the song? I'm not sure the name of it, but can I give you the lyrics? It goes like this. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so catchy, thank you, it's wide-eyed wonder. My life becomes a song and I just sing it. Every breath, every step, every moment, wide-eyed wonder. So I receive his love, because I can't achieve it, you know? I reject performance-based acceptance. I return his love, (laughs) just live a life of gratitude. And then finally, I reflect it. As I have been loved, I love. As God has been kind to me, I'm kind. (laughs) In in other words, I, I reject stagnation. And I embrace, listen, I embrace the upside down reality of the open-handed life. I reject stagnation. You know what stagnation is? Here's the posture. I take and 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 I don't. Nothing falls out of me. It's weird because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I would, I would suggest to you that we need to be very careful with that because uh, I, I find receiving, I, I like receiving. I'm very blessed when I receive. I love to receive, don't you? So what Jesus was saying is not that you're not blessed when you receive. He says you're even more blessed when you give out of what you have received. So man, when, when, when God is kind to me, I'm blessed. And when I extend, when I reflect that kindness to others, I'm more blessed. When God loves me, I'm blessed. And when, when I reflect, when I extend his love to others, it's even more of a blessing. When God helps me, when God helps me, when God helps me in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, are you kidding me? He helps me more today, maybe, as much today as he did then. When you're standing on the stage in the middle of Chilliwack, B.C., when he helps me, I'm blessed. And when I extend that help to others, I'm even more blessed. I reject stagnation. (laughs) I embrace. See, God can't fill clenched fists. I embrace the upside down reality of the open-handed life that says this, I'm even more blessed when I give. (laughs) Jesus said it this way in Matthew 25, when everything's rolled up and history is about to end, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will say to those on his right, come you are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me? Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. So, next week, March the 8th, 2020, <coughs> will mark exactly the one-year uh, one date, the halfway mark of this two-year expanded vision called more. More help, more help, more help. Why? Got to alter this equation. We got, we got to alter this equation. More help. I know sometimes churches stand up here and go, man, would you please be, would you please be generous with your time and your talents? Yeah, great. Do it. Be nice. Serve. Help. I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about your treasure. I'm talking about your money. Would you embrace the upside-down reality of the open-handed life or no? It's super, it's, it's a super blessing to receive. It's even more of a blessing to give. So I want to ask you to be praying and thinking about what God might have you pledge one week from today. Now for some of you, you say, well, no, 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 last year I got on board, I'm in. That's great. Would you be willing next week just to say, just to, just to affirm that? I'm in, I'm still in, I'm on it, let's go. That's awesome, so cool. Or maybe you were around a year, a year ago, or, or maybe you weren't around a year ago, and for whatever reason, you've never stepped up and said, man, I want to be a part of the upside down. I, I, I want to alter this equation. Well, next week's your week. Let's go. You say, Mike, are, like, are we in trouble? Like, we're not going to make it without me? No, no, we'll make it. Y you need this. You need this. Clenched fist? That's not living. That's not life. Generosity is your story. Altering equations? That's your story. Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Got a video, I think that'll illustrate that. My name is Shay, and this is my story. Growing up, life just really wasn't easy for me. My middle school years were defined by bullying and sexual assault, and I walked into high school feeling broken and completely doubting my self worth. As a child, I'd always believed in God, but with everything that I'd been through, I believed that he deserted me, and I wanted nothing to do with him. I started to believe that the only way I could fix how I was feeling was to find someone to love me. I continually found myself in toxic relationships. Three years after graduation, I was a single mom of two baby boys, and I had been in and out of a transition home. After the birth of my second child, I found myself with little to no support, living on income assistance in a mobile home in Hope, BC. With all that I had been through, nothing could prepare me for what I was about to go through next. On November 19th, 2018, I noticed my newborn son Sawyer had a cough. When I came to check on him again, he had suddenly gone blue. We rushed to the hospital and we were transferred more than three times. All of his vitals were dropping and he was on the fifth level of breathing support. I remember sitting in the corner of the hospital room as the doctors, nurses, and specialists surrounded my little boy covered in tubes. Tears streamed down my face, 
I cried and I prayed desperately again for the protection of my son. We later learned that Sawyer had RSV, which is deadly for preterm babies like him. Sawyer was diagnosed with severe GERD, failure to thrive, and a tight pylorus. Last August, Sawyer's health took another serious drop and we were back at Children's Hospital once more. After two months in the hospital and 11 surgeries, I was completely hopeless. I didn't know what to do or where to turn. I had heard of Southside Church before, and out of desperation, I decided to message in on Instagram and to ask for a prayer. I was messaged back right away and was told there was a team praying for my family every day. I was finally encouraged. Around this time, Kelsey Oz, an Instagrammer that I followed, reached out to me. Her daughter used a similar G-tube to Sawyer, and she came in with coffee to visit us in our hospital room. I was so exhausted, and I can't express how meaningful it was to have someone to talk to that cared. As we were chatting, I found out that Kelsey also attended Southside herself. I started wondering if God was reaching out to me through this church and these people. After three months in the hospital, we were finally able to bring Sawyer back to our home in hope. It was nearing Christmas time, and the season was particularly heavy for my little family. One afternoon, I looked out my window to see a car full of Southsiders pulling up to my home. They knocked on the door with a sunshine box in hand. The box was filled with hundreds of dollars worth of gift cards, Christmas presents for my boys, and a card filled with encouragement. I was brought to tears by the generosity of the church, and my boys were so happy. I just couldn't believe a church that I had never attended could reach out to my family in such a tangible way, and there was something I just couldn't shake about it. I knew in my heart that the God I thought had deserted me was reaching out to me in this moment with his love. That night, on the floor of my kitchen, I turned my heart back to God. I immediately went onto the church website and I clicked through every tab. I knew I needed to go to Southside. Because of my son's health issues and the long drive, I decided to start by listening to the Southside podcast. The first message that I'd listened to was so powerful that I cried through the entire thing. Right away, I decided to step out of my comfort zone and to sign up to join a group. I still had so many questions, but I wanted to jump in and find out more about this loving God that was talked about at Southside. I even ordered a Bible and a devotional book and started to teach my sons how to pray. Before ever physically attending church, I met with my new Southside group. I met Sarah, the leader of the group, and she immediately took me under her wing and welcomed me in. I had never felt like I belonged anywhere like this before. I was met with so much acceptance and never once felt like I had to prove myself to anyone. It felt like I was home. In our group's Facebook chat, we were talking about our next steps with God, and a few of us decided to get baptized. Even though I had been a part of Southside Online, I hadn't been to church in person. So needless to say, this was a big Sunday for me. I walked in so nervous, but I was met with smiling faces and a warm welcome. Not only that, but the kids team knew that Sawyer was coming and had trained smiling volunteers waiting for me at the front, fully ready to take care of him for the morning. In the service, Pastor Mike talked about God's unconditional grace and how no matter what, no matter how far, and no matter how often we wander off, there is always a well-worn path back to him. He talked about his unconditional love for us and how God couldn't love me any more or any less. After the message, I walked up to the tank and I took my next step of baptism. I felt so complete, so filled with joy, and so close to God, and I knew this is where he wanted me to be. And needless to say, I jumped out of the tank and gave Sarah a big wet hug. 
What started as a prayer and a sunshine box during a time when I needed help the most turned into something so much more. God used the loving people of Southside Church to reach out to me with tangible help and to bring me into a relationship closer with himself. I know that God loves me and that he fights for me and that he is with me and that now I always have someone to turn to. Moving forward, I just want to extend the same love that was extended to me. I want to show the love of Jesus by helping others just like I was helped. I'm starting to understand that a life that's full is one spent looking past yourself to the needs of others. I want to teach my kids to do the same. I'm so excited for them to grow up in this community and to see their faith grow. Looking back now, I see God with me throughout my life. I see him with me in those dark hospital rooms late at night and at home when I wasn't sure how we were going to afford next month's bill. I see that he's been with me my whole life and that he led me to an amazing church family and to himself. I can't believe the hope I have now. And this is just the beginning. <clears throat> Why help? That's fine. Got to alter this equation. We can alter this equation. We must alter this equation. It's so interesting to me to see a story of someone who's received so much help and then to think that it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we've stepped up in hundreds and hundreds of stories just like that, we've been blessed. We will continue to be blessed. And we will continue to be a blessing. Let's pray. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, the first question I want to ask you, just you, how are you? I wonder if you're here today and really the reason that you're here is because you're feeling helpless. Maybe you're a little, a little bit like I was, walking around with a felt blanket beard and everyone around you is looking at you going, oh boy, you need help. Or maybe not. Maybe on the outside, man, you look popular, successful, a winner. But deep inside, you realize there's something there that you need help. Emotionally, relationally, that you just, you're starting to wonder if there really is a way to a life worth living. And, and I guess that's why you're here today. Because I want to tell you that there is a way, and his name is Jesus. And you don't have to earn his love. You don't need to achieve his love. You just need to receive it. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today because Jesus died so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a fresh start. And he rose again so that you could have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. And you know where it starts? It just all starts by receiving what Jesus already accomplished through his death and resurrection. So with heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, if you want to begin that journey, can you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you right now. Oh, nice and high, please. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Awesome, you can put your hands down. So if you just raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud, and I just ask that you would pray quietly along with me in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you that I do not have to earn it, that you did everything necessary for me to receive your love, God's love through you, and today I receive it. Thank you, thank you, 
thank you. I pray that you would be my savior, that through your death on the cross, that you would forgive my sins and give me a fresh start today. And I wanna make you my Lord. Show me how to follow you into a life worth living one next step at a time. And God, I wanna thank you for every single person here. Whether it's their first time, their 400th, whether they're watching online, thank you for being a part of this mission. Thank you for this opportunity to help as we have been helped by you. And Father, I pray that this church more and more and more would alter the equation in life after life, in story after story, and we would see your power break through and change this city one life at a time. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you guys next week. Love you lots. Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.